Is there anybody else here? How many companions do you have? Where are they at? What's going on? Answer me! How's that? Is that good for your show? Welcome to episode 259 of Gaming NBS being recorded Sunday, September 8th, 2019. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Answer me! That's a little tasty taste of my buddy, Jeff. That's awesome. (laughs) That is pure awesome, man. So the context of that, if you wanted to rewind it uh, 30 seconds, is that he got hit in the chest with a sniper in the woods kind of thing. uh, They threw a person at him? You know, snipers a person, right? No, well, I mean, a sniper shot him. There you go. In coming, he was approaching the wood line, and so they they, they attacked him, and he sur- uh, surrendered, and then that's Jeff's interrogation method. It's a good technique. <laughs> Start soft, quiet, a lot of questions, rapid fire, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> brief, brief stunt of, you know, quiet, and then boom, go for the throat with a boisterous answer me. I like it. I would, uh, I'd be cringing from a guy like that. Yeah. Right. Rightfully so. <laughs> so I did, how was your weekend, man? Uh, it was low key. No gaming. No gaming? Okay. No gaming. You? I Bro- went up to um, my hometown. I My buddy Nick was running his Star Wars game. I did not play in that because I got up too late and I don't have a character for that game there right in the middle of this really cool thing. Anyway, so I sat back and uh, did some... Avalon Avalon work for kind of some next projects that Chris and I are kicking around. Got oh. in over on our um, on our forums, played around out there for a bit, and then uh, got ready for an Evercon meeting, which took up most of my Saturday morning, and then came back home. And then today, I said, hey, AJ, to my son, because that's his name, I said AJ. And he said, hey, um, I'm going to go out in the woods and uh, move my tree stand around a little bit. Deer, uh, archery season opens next weekend. I want to clear a couple shooting lanes. You're in? He goes, yeah, that'll be fun, Dad. Pack up, go out there, meet the landowner again, talk to him, his son, two nice guys, go out in the woods, kicking around. And then I hear the and feel the wham of the first bee sting. I'm like, motherfucker. And I look up, and there's a cloud of them around my head. So I got swarmed. That was miserable. I only got seven of them hit me. But the one right above my right eye, like right underneath your eyebrow, and that little little fold of your your eyelid, yeah, that's where it nailed me. That fucking hurt. AJ only got stung once, but I got seven of them. Bam, 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 bam. And uh, there's something about swarms. I get out of there, and of course, being an uber gamer nerd kind of dude, I am I'm like, man, that's miserable. And AJ goes, yeah, that was kind of that's kind of scary when that happens. I said, the whole little back brain, that little lizard monkey part of your back brain is like screaming at you to run away in panic. It's really hard. I mean, that's not even comparative to other swarms that people have been hit with flying biting insects or you know bees of any kind but it's it in, it induces panic rapidly so i'm going to have to do that in a game i'm going to have to nail somebody with a swarm i haven't done that in a while i think we need to do that swarms are a bitch oh jesus it was so painful like and it's this horribly loud noise in your ear things are crawling on you trying to trying to stab you and you can't you can't you don't want to open your eyes cuz they're darting at your face right and you're getting pain, stabs little needles, you're on fire, you could feel the poison in you, that sucks. And you you can swat and flail all you want, and you can't kill them. They're, it, ah, <laughs> it's bizarre. It is a really overwhelming feeling. 
it's not fun. But now I do know where the swarm is, or at least where they came from, so I will not go to that section of the woods for a while. Not until it's cold and frozen where I can find their little nest and stomp the living fuck out of it in vengeance. Nah, there bees. I'll probably let them be. But anyway, I just won't go that way until it's cold. Yeah, usually they're not too bad. Uh, I got too close. I must have stepped on it or came really, really close to it. Uh, I've seen people go into hives. I mean, they're raising bees and they don't do anything to them. Yeah, I did something. I don't know what I did. <laughs> I must have stepped I, on them. I something. stepped on them, irritated them, dropped a bush on them, something, because I was hacking limbs. You got the queen, man. Oh, geez. That was not fun. That's not okay, fun. well, you're going you're gonna to be okay, man. I'll be all right. I'll be all, all right. right. In consolation, I do know that the seven that stung me, they're fucking dead. They it's are dead. He stab, yeah. stabs you once, he's gone. They could have been hornets. Yeah, hornets are just, they just stab you for fun. Yeah. They're bastards. They are. But anyway... Other than that, we should talk about some gaming stuff, man. We should. Uh, let's see here. Forums are cooking. We got some good activity out there, which is great. Evercon.org. We've talked about Evercon. We just did that. Gamehocon.org. That's uh, .com.org. My God. Gamehocon.com. C-O-M. That is out there. That's happening, of course, in like a month and a half, man. Whoa. Yeah. October 31st. That's rapidly approaching. Yeah, it is. Holy shit. I'm working with uh, the Encoded Design crew so I can have some uh, Streets of Avalon books there that I can sell on site. So that would be kind of cool if I can make that happen. And working, signing. Work. There's a signing, everybody. Oh. Brett will be available <laughs> I gave a couple. Day. I gave copies to my buddies in my hometown, and Alpha had like his five copies. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I gave one to the, a couple of guys, and he goes, hey. I said, what? He goes, this book is something wrong with it. I'm like, fuck, what? He goes, you didn't sign it. I'm like, dude, you want me to devalue your book? Seriously? I'm like, you know who I am. It's not that you big gotta a deal. You got to number it. Got to number it. Nah, I, I signed it for him. I should have numbered of, it. One of 200. One of 200. <laughs> I'll just make up numbers. I'll just what? start doing that. If anybody wants to start, go number 16 of 17. Yeah. Number one of two. Yes. <laughs> just random numbers, no no meaning or anything like that. Oh, well. I said, I'll tell you what, man. Let's let's just move right on to Random Encounter. We got some good oh, ones, so let's, okay. go get, let's get in there. Right. Do it. Randoms Encounters. All right. Emails, voicemails, comments from social media, and our forums. You start first, man. Laramie Wall writes in about cheating at the table to his holiness and the grand poobah. <laughs> ah, cheating. We've all done it. Oh, hey, wait a minute, man. Wait a minute, Laramie. Pretty strong accusation. Well, none of us should be proud of it. For my part, I'm usually pretty good at spotting suspicious behavior. As one of our gaming group was a great cheater and clued me in on many of his tricks for everything to dice game to cards. To this day, if someone has a stroke of good luck, we rib them with a, sure, this person's name, sure, we believe you, wink. For my part, I think you guys are spot on when recommending avoiding confrontation. No one likes it, and it usually ends badly. If it's a regular game, I've been known to toss out a, hey, everyone, just to keep us all on the same page, can we all roll on the table instead of in your dice box? Or all use dice your neighbor can see, or what have you. It doesn't point a finger and in my mind implies an even request for everyone, not singling a person out 
as far as con games, I think the thing that rubs me here is doing that really can just steal from everyone else. If I have that concern, like Brett, I just reduce the, that massive damage and have been known to just not let the player get killing blows in. They get to do their 5,000 damage, but the staggering foe finally goes down when the thief jabs him with his short sword for four damage. That's That's wonderfully... Anticlimactically fun. <laughs> uh, I like I like what you're doing there, Laramie. Sean, I'd like to apologize for being the worst fan you guys have. During the art episode, I did notice the art on the podcatcher and was excited because I didn't know how uh, didn't know many of the pieces you guys were referring to. I skipped back through the episode once. I noticed it to look at them. I really appreciated that effort and detail and neglected to mention it. Thanks for all work you guys put in on the show. Cheers, Laramie. So what he's referring to in the Art of RPGs episode, I put, if we were talking about a particular piece of art, if you look at your podcatcher, it should change to that piece of art. little slideshow type action. little slideshow, a little interactive. Taking the podcast a level above. Boom. All right, let's see here. Al Evans on the forum had an interesting story about a cheater. This is one of my favorite ones. Yeah, this is pretty good. I had a player many, many years ago, early first edition D&D, who went out and bought the module I was running. He was playing in a very focused way, unusual for a normally chaotic player. The rest of the group liked the fact that he was not setting off traps and attracting wandering monsters. None of us realized he was cheating. The MacGuffin in this module was a super powerful sword that was way overpowered. So I'm going to, this is Brett aside, I'm pretty sure he's talking about White Plume Mountain, Black Razor. I'm pretty sure he's talking about Black Razor here. Anyway, carry on. He continues. So I had rewritten the sword to give it some negatives. He wound up getting the sword, of course, as he was laser focused on it. Well, over the next few months, he became very agitated every time he used the sword's ancillary power. Some bad stuff would happen. Finally, in a fit of pick, he yelled, that's not right. I have the module and you're not playing the sword properly. As he looked up at the rest of the table's horrified looks, he tried to backpedal. Well, somebody at the table, not me, dumped his bag onto the table. And in it were not only several modules we had played or looking to play, but Xeroxes of my notes. I worked at the same place would bring my bag of DM stuff to work and we would play after work. Needless to say, that was his last game at my table and the last time I ran a module. I continued to read them for ideas, but wrote every single adventure I ran. Forty years later, I still create all my own material. <laughs> that, that's, that's a level of, why are you doing it? Sean, I've talked repeatedly about, man, I wish I could recapture the wonderment like I did the very first time, blah, blah, blah. This guy has no interest in anything. No, and real, real exploration. No, he wants to know everything. Wow. That's some dedication there. Yeah, that's a guy who spends way too much time opening Christmas presents and, and pretending he doesn't know what they are. Way too much work. Way too much yeah. work. Good story, though. <laughs> well, thank you for crazy. sharing. Thank you for sharing. Over Ray, you, Otis, Ray Otis looks a little deeper into cheating on the forums. This is the sad thing about cheating is that it doesn't feel good to anyone, not even the cheater. How long can you play a game on God mode and brag about it? I guess my first thought would be to try to figure out the why. Why is this player cheating? Why do they need to succeed so badly? Is there some way that I could help them grow out of their immaturity? I mean... It's not on the GM to be a psychotherapist, but sometimes this shit is easy to figure out. Maybe giving them a bit more attention, building up a little trust, and then handing them a weak character to play is a challenge. Because they are obviously a good player. <laughs> wow, you know, you're really, really good at this. Here, I'm going to give you the underpowered mage. 
in, yeah. a, wheel, in a wheelchair. You're going to be blind. the one that survives. Yeah. 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 I know you, I know you're the only one in the group who can play this one right. You yes. got this. Right. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You got this. <laughs> as soon as Ray started getting into that, I'm like, ooh, touchy feely. I like it. Well, it's true, though. I mean, honestly, there's, it's kind of that we ask the question, like, what the fuck is wrong with people? <laughs> now, that's a rude way to say it. But the other piece is like, wow, why would you feel the need to do that? I say that enough during my day job. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to say it in my hobby. In my hobby. But good thought, Ray. I mean, there is, especially if you know people and you can and you pay attention to them at the table, like, why are they doing this? You know, and see if you can find a way to pull that from that gamer and make them not do it anymore. It's to win, Ray. It's mostly, to win. Mostly. Yeah. All right. Blake Ryan pointed out creating second edition character. Oh, creating a second character in AD&D. Sean and I talked about this and why people came back at a level lower or not. So he pulled this off and sent it to us. He snipped this out of the AD&D DMs guide, I yeah. think. Uh, experienced players, while existing characters should generally be brought into the campaign. Without existing characters. Without existing characters. Oh, excuse me. Experienced players without existing characters should generally be brought into the campaign at a level roughly equal to the average of that of the other player characters. If the average is fourth level, for example, an average die or D4 plus one can be rolled to find a level between two and five. This actually works well, even if the average experience level of a campaign is five, six, or seven, or even eighth, especially when the average die is used. If the experience level is above eighth, you will wish to start such newcomers out at fourth or higher level. After all, they're not missing out on anything as they have already played being a character rules elsewhere. And they will not have, then they will not have to be virtually helpless and impatient. And, excuse me, and impotent characters in your campaign, as you give them a substantial level to begin with, fourth, fifth, or sixth, for instance. You might be in a position to take a different approach if there are several experienced newcomers in your campaign by adapting a method given below for the complete neophyte. Interesting. So, if your yeah. player's experienced, if you have already gone through the low-level doldrums. I will bequeath you, Sean, a die roll to determine which character level you come in at. How wonderful. That's, cr well, that's, the problem is, is that, n okay. <laughs> Rage. The, pro <laughs> the problem with first edition AD&D is all the classes had different experience points to garner any level. Oh, yeah, that was, that was one of the more interesting pieces. You could, like, rocket up the thief path for a while. Struggle at other things, but if you had that magic user, because they weren't wizards yet, magic user who made his way right. or her way. Wow. Okay. So when it went into 3.0 and everybody, you know, to hit first level, you had 1,000. Second level was 3,000, whatever it was. Yeah, even playing field on the XP side. No matter what class you were playing. So this method, if it sounds wonky, it's because the game was Freaking wonky. It's not wonky. It's just a different, it's different wonky. way to go about it. Wonky, wonky, wonky. <sighs> Sad. Look, AD&D players and you object just players you just like Brett. You just can't handle descending armor class. Thacko and... Thacko's second edition. Well, I suppose. That's where it came into its own. But uh, I don't know, man. Some of those old games are just like... I know. That's too, it's, the problem is they're, too, they're just too cerebral for you. They are. You're just not ready for that. You need a simpler game. You need some kind of juvenile game like a 
Your shoots and ladders level. I do need shoots and ladders, the role-playing game. Let's see what we can find. <laughs> that's what I need. Oh, that's too funny. I have an example of what I think that is, but I don't want to I'm gonna start, I don't want to offend I, people, I so I'm not I'm gonna, saying what it is. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some of the older games, and probably specifically ad and I'm just going to open it up, and I'm going to read something. I'm going to come around, I'm gonna crawl across the package, package, a passage that's like, Oh my God. And I'm going to take that passage and I'm going to feature it on the show and rant about it. Oh, you could just go through the, uh, the chart of the various different um, euphemisms for prostitute. <laughs> okay. There's well, a chart. Start with that one. Slovenly then. troll. Um, blah, 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 blah. There's a ton of them. Yeah. 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 There's, yeah. there's all sorts of weirdness. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, be on the lookout for that minor production. <laughs> That'll be fun. A game, once again, a game trying to codify everything in the weirdest way possible. Yeah. Anyway, over to you, sir. James writes in about art in RPGs. Sean and Brett, I'm a longtime listener to your show. In my opinion, one of the premium offerings when it comes to RPG gaming podcasts. I think I read that too fast. Holy thank crap. you. Yeah. In my opinion, one of the premium offerings when it comes to RPG gaming podcasts. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you, man. You touch on a lot of great topics and the back and forth conversation between you guys is natural and reminds me of when my friends and I chat. Your show also has a great runtime and the sound quality is excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That last part especially is all due to Sean. All Sean there on sound quality. All right. So I just listened to the episode on art and role playing games more than art. That more than fine art or pop art, fantasy and sci-fi art, as found on RPGs and novel covers, is my first love. D&D alone has enough great pieces to discuss for hours, and I too highly recommend Watsi's recent Art and Arcana book. What are some of the game art books you guys own? I have Art of the Dragonlands. I have Art of Dragon Magazine. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I, I think that. I don't have it, but I Yeah, I have Art know. of Dragon magazine. Um the Art of the Dragon Lance, I wanted it and I don't know why I don't have it. I have to find that. Yeah. I have to find that because some of the most amazing stuff was in there. I do have so speaking of art, if we take cartography into play, the um I cannot remember the lady who did them, but there was a uh there is a Dragon Lance map book. It's a soft cover, eight and a half by eleven cartography book and she did the same with i think forgotten realms perhaps but it was just it's just amazing it's really really well done that's also arty yeah keep going some of my personal favorite works are the demon idol cover of the AD&D first edition phb though i prefer the easily covers for the monster manual on dmg the Elmore cover on the expert box with the dragon flying at the rider. Mm-hmm. The pair of Errol Otis covers on the 1981 basic, basic and expert sets. Parkinson's Lord Sauce Charge and most oh. anything Clyde Caldwell did, in particular the covers for the D&D Gazetteer line. That is an awesome line. That is some of, in my opinion, for my money, that's some of Caldwell's best work. Sure. Gazetteer line. Love it. As a big Ravenloft fan, I like his work there as well and have a framed print of the great cover of the Ravenloft Realm of Terror black box with the vampire holding the dark-haired woman back lit by the moon. Nice. I'm also a huge Planescape fan and no setting, in my opinion, except for maybe Dark Sun, is more defined by the style of a single artist. The great art of Tony DiTerlizzi captures the otherworldly weirdness perfectly. 
Tony just turned 50, by the he way. He just I saw. turned 50 on Twitter. I saw that. Yeah, happy birthday, Tony. One of yes. the best artists out there. Thank you for all you've done, sir. I believe you asked if anyone has ever bought something based on the cover alone. For me, that would be the first edition of the 7th CRPG. The Dave Leary piece on the cover of the Game Master's Guide with the Dueling Pirates sold me on the whole idea. Like Brett, I'm a big fan of Elmore Star Frontiers cover. This cover on the first edition of the Shadowrun of Shadowrun is another great example that screams play this play this game. Oh yes, I love that cover. That was that's, the thing that made me look at Shadowrun and say, "Huh, I, I could totally get into this." I think that's third edition. First edition. For it is first. First, oh. very first edition. Yep. I have an art question for you guys. Is there a particular type of game art that you enjoy most? By this, I mean, is it full-color paintings used for covers or full-page spreads? Black and white line art depicting scenes in the game? Art showing characters, fantasy landscapes, etc.? Who? Huh. Eh. I don't know, man. I like all of it. I think it is on a case-by-case basis. Some games... Um, for my Streets Avalon setting, I wanted black and white. It felt the most noir It felt like it would fit. Uh, we talked about it more like, you know, co- color cover to a point, but we still want to go black and white. It just, it felt right. And I think in certain games, black and white just fucking rocks as interior art. I am honestly, some of the, uh, the over glossy full color masterpieces that some RPG books are now, I actually find hard to read because I'm old and my reading glasses glare. <laughs> the glare from the from the super glossiness bothers the hell out of my eyes sometimes. But uh, I don't know. I think you're right. It is kind of it. I'll pull out a Sean. It depends. I think it really does. Yeah, I could get I could pick a piece that's black and white. I could pick a piece that's a cover. In each cat, like a category for each, and there would be one that. Each one of those pieces in each one of those categories, I would enjoy equally. I Problem. think it, it's Similar. the it's the evocative power for whatever yeah. reason. You see a piece and you say, wow, I want that thing to happen. Or I wish I was there seeing what was going on or even just walking that landscape, you know? Yeah. Really. As a side note, I backed the Streets of Avalon Kickstarter and just received my print copies of the book, August 2019. I have to say I'm really enjoying it so far. I like how grim and gritty it is. While I've mostly played various editions of D&D, I think this would be a fun setting to use to test drive my copy as Vihand or Grim and Perilous RPG. I'm interested to hear if you guys have read or played that or the Warhammer uh, Fantasy RPG, which clearly inspired it. In particular, I'd be curious how you'd adopt, adapt Avalon to use it versus using D&D 5e. Keep up the great work, James. James, I have, uh, I do have Zvihander. Um Sean called me my attention to a sale for it, so I've got a big, hefty hardcover for that. I would totally use that. I think that's a really good idea. In fact, I think my next, I'm going to play test it with my group. After I'm done running, I think I'm going to run some Delta Green up next. After that's done and I go back to Avalon, the city with my team, I think I'm going to pull out Zvihander um, and give that a go. I think it'd be a great fit. I have played Warhammer First Edition Fantasy RPG. That's my favorite Warhammer edition. Love it. I have a really good time with it. Um, I'm looking at Zvihander being that's not as steeped in the Warhammer world, I may be able to adapt it a little bit more to my world. So if and when I get a chance to pull it off like I want, I will let everybody know. But yeah, I totally think you could do that, man. And thank you 
for backing the Kickstarter. Holy crap, dude. That's very, very kind of you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, anything, okay. else, anything from you, man? No, I think that's it. All right. Harrigan writes us about art and RPGs. Guys, digging in recent episodes as usual. Good work. Have a few comments and a question. Favorite art pieces back in the day in the 80s. I actually found a lot of TSR art pretty terrible, even as a young teen. At least early black and white stuff in the modules, with the exception of guys like Tim Truman. Oh, my God. I can't believe I didn't mention Truman. Truman does amazing work. Amazing stuff. Well, Elmore and Easley and company came aboard and got that house style rocking. That was awesome. Except for Caldwell's oval gemstones. I hated those. One of my favorite things each month was waiting to see the cover of a new Dragon magazine. And there were some really good ones. The best, in my humble opinion, was 126, Daniel Horn's Undead Giant Fighting the Archer. Gods, I love that cover. That is a damn good cover. We've got a link in the show notes to that. But if you don't check the link, go on Daniel Horn. Dragon Magazine number 126. Check that out. That is a beautiful piece of work. On the importance of art, freaking hugely important. RPGs can't settle on, on a style or tone or have, or that have 10 artists with different approaches to the work drives me crazy. Even if the art isn't great, I want it to be consistent in how it's portraying the setting or the themes of the game. Having a single artist helps a lot. Check out games like Mayfair's incredible underground RPG from the 90s. DreamPod 9's stuff from that same period. Heavy Gear, the Joven Chronicles. Even something as simple as the black hack can nail it. The last thing on this, art is so important to me that I often won't bother to read the preview slash artless versions of a game I help kickstart. I know the text is there, but those plain white pages don't inspire me much. Those are, But there are some cases where no art is better than bad art. I found a lot of art from Mythos Monsters in the Chaosum Call of Cthulhu games pretty bad over the years. I think trying to illustrate Lovecraft's wacky ideas often goes wrong in our midget our imaginations can do better. I got to say, you're right, man. It's it's tough to draw something that man was not meant to know. <laughs> that's that's tough to do. I want to make knowable that which no human being is, is uh, should know. Let's try this. Okay, a question and final comment to close. In your recent episode on cheating, you touched on players reading modules the DM is running. You remember I ruined an entire Dragonlance campaign and a fledgling DM doing it by doing that, except I never read the module, just the stupid novel. Anyway, I've been going to cons recently, and after a long hiatus from running live games, I'm going to dive back in. I'm planning something OSR-ish, and will likely lean on a module. Is it better practice to list what module I'm using or not? I can see pros and cons both ways. Thoughts? Lastly, thanks for... for Thanks... Ugh, lastly, looking forward to hearing the upcoming recordings of Jeff. So, you, guys, <laughs> you got a bit up front here again. So, Sean, if you're going to run an OSR, I'll tell you what I would do. I'd put the module on there. Tomb of Horrors. Uh, I'm running at Game Hole Con, and I'm going to run Tomb of Horrors. The only thing but I would why did say, you pick the name? That's what he wants to know. Why did you put the name of the module Because I'm running exactly that module. So what he's saying is, should you lean, is it better practice to list the module or not? Well, he's not saying that verbatim. He's yes. sitting no. Is it better practice to, lit mo to list Hold what on. module I'm using or not? You're not reading the context, though, Brett. Yeah, he wants to know if he should bother to run it because he doesn't want anybody to have read it, perhaps. I, I'm planning on something OSR-ish, mm -hmm. and I will likely lean on a module. Yes. I don't know if leaning means he's going to be running it verbatim or doesn't, if he's doesn't going— matter. Well, it does. Oh, because, so from your perspective, you're going to run it verbatim, put the damn title on there? Yes. If you're not— you could say if you're not and you're only using it for inspiration and you're deviating from the module or you're just using like the map or you're just using the NPCs, 
then I would not. You could say inspired by. You could say inspired by if you wanted to. Okay, I get your point. So if I were to say, hey, I'm going to run Isle of Dread, and you show up and it's on a spaceship, you'd be like, motherfucker, this isn't Isle of Dread. Well, yeah, right. it is. I took, yes. I took great inspiration from Isle of Dread, and it's on the planet Xenos. Right. And you're like, ah, dick, no, that's now, not what I wanted. Now, what Harrigan is saying is, then why is that considered cheating? Because I'll say, oh, that's not, the, the, a player could say, I wanted to play Isle of Dread. I've played it before, and now I'm running and playing it in a con. And it's not the Isle of Dread. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, it's goofy. Cons are different that way, in my opinion. I don't think people play a module game at a convention to manipulate the module. I think they'll do it out on a... Like, I, th- I would imagine the people signing up for my game is simply doing it because they've heard of the module. Have played it. Have run it. And have and or have played it in the past, but don't... I, I would hope they're not joining just to manipulate the crap out of it and walk through it. I would be willing to say, because some people are dicks, yes, somebody out there is doing that at cons. We'll see. That that person is a bad gamer. Sure. Most people, if they look at it, say, huh, you're running, you know, Lair of the Lizard King, Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh. You're running Sundown of Alternus. Wow, that's cool. I remember having so much fun playing that one. That'd be fun to do again. Yeah. Or, Or whatever else. And if they show up and have a good time... It's a convention game, and part of that whole draw for that is the nostalgia, the fun. If somebody's trying to win by saying, oh, push all three blocks in at the same time. Oh, don't step on the third black square. Step on the fourth black square. That level of detailed asshattery is too much. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I just don't know to what that level is. Like, if somebody ran Pharaoh, I'd I'd probably want to play it, but I don't. I mean, I know... The premise, but I don't know all the details of it. So, what is the one basic D anD D? It is the um, the Lost City in the desert. Yep. With the uh, big creatures, R ten. Yeah. Over his. So Rasher runs this, and he had people come up to me. We're going to play in this game. Say, hey, he's running under gaming BS banner. I said, yeah, it's Jared Rasher. He's a great, dude. Yeah, yeah. Do you know if he's if, how he's going to do it? Because I, I love that module and I signed up to play it because I really love it. And I'm wondering how he does it because it's oh. so big. And I said, you know, I honestly don't know how he's going to pull it off, but he only has however many hours to do it. So I said, I know Rasher. He's a good dude. Not, no, this, I'm not. It wasn't Jared Rasher. Who was it? It's the guy. Oh, shit. I'm losing my brain. It's not Rasher. Um, your friend from that I met. He's from Twin Cities area, Minnesota. Jason. Jason Rather. There we yes. go. Jason. Good God. Sorry, apologies to both Jason and Jared. So anyway, I said, Jason's a good dude. He's got this. I talked to him. He gave me some ideas of what he's doing. I said, but I'm not going to ruin it for you. Go there and experience it. I guarantee you'll have a good time. He only had like four hours. Rayther's got like just a short period of time to do it. So whatever he did, the guys came back to me later and said, oh, I'm so glad he didn't spoil anything. I had a good time. So that dude and the two gamers with him specifically signed up for it because they love that module and wanted to see how somebody else ran it. So I think you have people who do that. And because, you know, so there's so many different ways, means, policies, devices that people have to try to, to sign up for games and such. I I think it would be worth listing the module. Even if you say inspired by, if you know, you're going to deviate strongly, as you say, or you could simply say, I'm running this module. And um, when somebody shows up and is kind of a jerk and says, well, that's not how that works, you can say, well, we only have four hours. I don't have um, 
a month to play this big thing or whatever. Does that make sense, Sean? You buying yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, you can get anybody in a game. I yeah. Mean, it's going to cover the gamut. Who knows? But I get your point. If you were to say Tomb of Horrors and then you showed up, it was Tomb of Horrors in space. People were like, ah, what do you mean Tomb of Horrors in space? It's not supposed to be in space. Yeah, yeah, it's, so. it's just too much. Right. If you're going to run it enough that people should be able to recognize it, then say the name. Do you say agree? Say my name. Say my name. <laughs> Do you agree, though? Yeah, I guess like, that's so. That's what you're saying. Yeah. You just I guess did, so. You, if you're you deviating just... much from the module, then I don't know. It's a judgment call. I mm-hmm. could see it go either way. But I think if you're going to run it really verbatim or as close to it is possible... Or just put in the description, like, Tuma Horrors and Tuma Horrors. This was Tuma Horrors. This is going to be Tuma Horrors in space with some minor modifications. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. I I might sign up for that game. Six people. <laughs> That's what the hell. Why Enter not? a spaceship but find themselves in an ancient tomb of a Sarerac. Yeah. I don't why know. not? Right. Good luck. That could actually be interesting. That's a Space Hulk. Mashup yeah. right there. Talking about mashups from last episode. Anyway. Okay. Harrigan, I have no idea if we actually answered your question or not. If we didn't, please let us know. And we'll try again. Over Ed, to you, sir. Edwin Nagy. This one goes back. I think he, he commented and never never prepared. And so we were talking about, like, putting things on the players. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shirking duties is the subject line. Perhaps there's a difference between asking leading questions about the player's characters versus about the world. Why is your character here feels different to me than why is the Duke unhappy? As GM, I tend to stick to PC-centered questions, and as a player, I tend not to enjoy world-centered ones. Hmm. This concept may also be one of the key differences between story and traditional games. I don't like them. I don't like either term, but hopefully they get the idea across. Cheers, Edwin. You know, Edwin, that's interesting. Um, Character-centric... Why is your character here versus why is X about the world the way the way it is? You can answer something about the world from a character's perspective, right? But it is obviously colored by whatever lens the character sees it through. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Huh. The only argument I would have, Edwin, is that if you get the players to comment on the world piece, then there's an argument that they would be more vested into the world. I think, I think, I I mean, it could go either way though. I think without Edwin here to defend himself, I would take, I would say Edwin. That's the beauty of this show. Nobody's here to defend (laughs) themselves. Tear them down. All of them. I would think Edwin would say, that's why I ask character specific questions because then Brett's character, Eileen's character can say, I believe my character believes that the Duke is unhappy because of a failed marriage and the fact that the dragon has stolen his son. That's your character's lens. You're saying something about the world, but through the character's perspective. And because it's the character's perspective, Edwin is the game master could say, huh, that's interesting. None of that matters. That's just a rumor. Okay, neat. Your character's free to act on that however they wish. It doesn't change how the world is set. Or if it goes contrary to the world, that's fine. Huh. You know, Edward can say, hey, Sean, how do you, what, what does your character feel about the Empire? He could say, well, I... I think the emperor is really a decent guy and he's yeah. you know, doing the best he can, corrupt Senate, blah, blah, blah. That's right. And that's your character's perspective. And it doesn't, it says something about the world because if you feel that way, you are either 
a lone crazy person who what? believes that by themselves, or you learn that from your parents or a group you belong to, and so forth. So I think it still says things about the world, but from a character's perspective, which gives the game master freedom to bend, fold, spindle, and mutilate huh. a little bit more. Huh. Perhaps. Sure. But I can see where other people, to your point, would be like, no, I want to say something about the world and have it stick. Right, right. Yeah, I want to be able to say, goblins are misunderstood. Huh. Yes, it's it's a horrible race war that we have against goblins, and they're misunderstood, and um, it's a cruelty that there's a bounty on goblin ears. This is, right. this is terrible. It is morally unjust. And that's the thing I want. I want in this world, I want it to stick. Some gamers like that stuff. Other gamers like, uh, no, that's... Not how I like it. Right. Interesting. Interesting. That's thought provoking, Edwin. That was a short one, man, but you got me thinking. Oh, my God. Good stuff. Good. Sean can see the smoke from my ears while I'm thinking. Smoking. <laughs> All right. Who else we got? Chris Shore writes or uh, calls in again. Good old Chris. Hey, Brett and Sean, it's Chris Shorb. Thanks for uh, uh, putting my voicemail on last time. From it, I learned two things. The first thing is that I guess the microphone on my uh, little Apple headset thing is busted because my audio is just terrible. Hopefully this is better. I don't really have a way of, of checking, but uh, I'm just talking directly into my phone right now. Second thing I learned uh, was about corporate speak. I, I appreciate being called out there. Uh, apparently calling during lunch between one corporate meeting and another impacts my, Oh, there it is. Boom. Ding, ding. Uh, anyways. Uh, and it also made me learn that acquisitions incorporated is probably not the game for me because I kind of want to get away from that corporate speak when I'm playing my D and D games, which is a good segue into your topic for last week, genre blending, which I thought was an awesome topic. Barrier peaks is one of my favorite, favorite, modules i loved shadowrun well i love the shadowrun setting i didn't particularly like the shadowrun rules i think i'm in uh along on the same page as as uh, brett there and the i uh, also genre i'm not sure is the right term when i think genre i think of things like oh how the story is told and how the outcome of the story is so like romance i see as a genre i see noir as a genre you know i see horror as a genre that suspense i'm not sure that the Forgotten Realms setting. I think you guys are more talking about setting elements that are impacting and kind of blending with each other. I think that, uh, so I'm not, I, I don't know if that necessarily is germane to your discussion. I think if we just had in, in, implemented the word, if we just used the word setting instead of genre, I think it would be the exact same conversation. And I get it. A lot of people don't like their settings to blend, you know, but a lot of people love it. I'm thinking Dragon Riders of Turn. You've got dragons there with, with, the far future setting, uh, like you guys talked about, Shannara, the post-apocalyptic with fantasy. I did think, one last point, is I did think I don't like my science fiction to have kind of that pastoral, that pastoral sort of fantasy blend to it. Like, I can't think of a, I wouldn't be interested so much in a traveler game where they land on a planet and it's like the Forgotten Realms. That, well, now I'm thinking about it, maybe that would be interesting. Anyways. Great show, thought-provoking. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Chris. That's interesting. I think that, you know, if I were to go back, call up a dictionary definition of genre, I think how people experience genre is in the setting. 
which is kind of interesting because uh, I know Tim Deshane and I were talking on uh, on Twitter. He posted something up, and I and he said, you know, he tends to run every game of his tends to have some horror element in it because you know even in D and D, sticking your head down a dark hole to see where the kobolds are is kind of terrifying. So I'm paraphrasing what 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 Tim said, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree. My stuff tends to to go that route. I think setting is often, or the mixing of the different setting components is maybe the, one of the easiest ways to talk about genre versus tones and themes sometimes. Hey, we might have to revisit that. I'll do a little research, see what I can find out. Lord, okay. Good stuff, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Chris. You ready, man? <laughs> he almost got into corporate speak right in the middle of that. <laughs> <laughs> Going to make some impact. Are you ready? Yeah. Well, let's ready. Oof. Oof, oof, oof. You ready? No. No? Yeah, I'm ready. So, Sean. Oh, God. You're uh, running this Call of Cthulhu game, man. Yeah, I'm running Call of Cthulhu. That's like your latest love. You hate all other games. You're actually talking about burning all your other books and only playing Call of Cthulhu. That's a lie. Um, How is it going, man? Are you liking it? Is the group liking it? Is it going well? Are you finding out that you've bitten off more than you can chew? Are you learning lessons? You're a, you're a, you're a module running, adventure running guy, published guy. How's the prep to play ratio working out? Lay it on me, brother. What you got? It's a lot to cover, Brett. I know. Start somewhere, and let's see where we go. So for those of you not in the know, I'm running massive Nairo or tap. Yes. Nyrolethotep. Mm-hmm. And it's 666 pages long. It's yeah, it's a, it's a hefty book, man. 2018 version, which is two books. They split it in half. Lots of handouts. So the begin the the if you're li- if you want to know about this, uh, or if you do not want to know about this adventure, then probably want to tune out. Spoilers may come about. This adventure's been out since forever, dude. I know, but still. All right, all right, all right. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, fair warning. Well, let's talk about this. Before you get into like the craziness about the adventure itself or whatever, let me ask you this. You're running a pre-published adventure. One of the things that's interesting to me is what I have read and tried to run a published Call of Cthulhu thing, I've found that reading it and understanding it and so on, I'm like, okay, you know, I got to make sure I'm ready for this evening's game, blah, blah, blah. I find... I am way, I am like 15 sessions making up a number here, way ahead of where the fuck the players actually get to. It feels like a Cthulhu type game moves much slower than a D&D module does. Is that true to you? Fair, fair. Mm. I would agree. Is that throwing your game off, man? No. I, when I say your game, I'm talking about your game master game, your prep, your, your readiness. Do you have too much in your head and you're like trying to rush people along or? No. I love the, <laughs> the non-yes, uh, the good, solid, solid I'm one answers. Of those, I'm one of those that every host wants on their show to interview because yeah, no, I would be yes. a great interviewer. Don't e, like it. Interviewee. Yep, I like it. No, bye. Yes. Right. <laughs> so I think that mm-hmm. I had read it. So the premise of Masks is it started at a particular point, and the hook for the player characters mm-hmm. to some didn't make sense. You kind of had to be quick buy-in. 
they're into a relationship with Jackson Elias. With the 1980-some version, they came out with, the, the community came out with kind of a prelude. Oh, why you know why you all buds with Jackson Elias and why you give a shit that something happened to him. Correct. And it's an adventure that kicks off that relationship. Then then that goes into the major masks campaign. Okay. So it wasn't like an addendum that they did. The community did. So I ran the addendum, which is them going to, I mean, I can tell you the premise because you could just read it and the game master is going to tell you about it. You're tasked to go to Peru because there's a a Mr. Larkin who kind of asks you to join him in Peru to find a, uh, a pyramid in the Andes that may have fortune. So depending on your character, you may be out for the fortune. You may be an archaeologist that's looking into long lost civilization, you know, whatever archaeology, anthropology, ties, blah. And then if you're another character, maybe you're a bodyguard of another player character. Fair enough. The adventure ensues, blah, blah, blah. And then it ends. And then you go into masks, which takes place five years later. Okay. Um, Five years later in New York. That kicks off the big mystery. So, okay. Going back to my game. Mm -hmm. Brett's. I get to talk this whole episode. I know. <laughs> That's some water. I'm taking Brett, some notes, doing Brett's, some shit. I'm barely paying attention, actually. <laughs> Brett's throwing me a softball. He's like tired uh-huh. of talking yeah. all of a sudden. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. So going to the game, one of the things, so I'm running pulp rules, which oh, I think okay. I've mentioned in the past. No, that's interesting, though, because a lot of times I think anyway that pulp call Cthulhu should move faster. I agree. And it's a little rough because we I've never run. Cthulhu. So even just like combat, I'm like, er, eh, er, ah, okay. okay, okay. You know, yeah. A player, Josh is a good guy. I think he may listen to the show on occasion, but you know, Josh knows the rules of games pretty well. He knows how stuff flows and he's not afraid to look it up and he presents it very he's, well. He's, he's not helping. a rules lawyer. Yeah, he helps. Yeah, that's he helps. awesome. Yeah. So he'll be like, no, you know, it's supposed to kind of work like this. Or, hey, if you get shot at, you're not supposed to. Have, like, if you take a dodge, you can't do another dodge. Yep. Right. Something like that. So it's a little clunky that way. But anyways, the characters are good. It's a little different than what they've played in the past. Um, I would say everybody's bought in. Doc is even getting in. I'm trying to get Doc into it. Okay. Um, that's good. Because I think the last time I mentioned about the game, Doc was falling asleep at the table. Yes, you did. So I had to keep, sh- I had to like move things along because it, it, sometimes you can get a little lully and it's, you know, lully. It well, we've talked the- about this in, in investigation games sometimes, even if it's gumshoe and you're like, well, everyone has all the core clues. Yeah, but they got a whole bunch of extraneous clues, How what they actually do with those clues, moving that along. And then if you introduce danger, especially in a high mortality game, you know, where if you get shot, you're fucking out of it. Right. People turtle up real fast. So keeping yeah. it moving is a big deal. And because going back to the pulp thing, you know, they'll say like, I take out my shotgun, you know, it's, I'm going to shoot them. And I go, okay, they're coming at you. It's pulp, right? S- say something, catchphrase, something. I don't know. Hey, yeah. it's, it's dying time. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, 
Blow, blow them away. Nazis, I hate these guys. Blow yeah. them. I hate these guys. Something like, kick it up a notch, right? This there isn't kind of your stereotypical Cthulhu game, right? I don't know. Twirl your freaking shotgun in your, yep, on your yep, fingers, yep. you know? Yep. Spin it around. Yeah, spin it around, man. Get crazy. Bring it from a back back holster. Yep. <laughs> Tommy guns and. You looking for me? Kaboom! <laughs> you know? All right. So I'm getting those guys to get into that a little bit. Like I'll say, hey, Doc, you know, it's Pulp Man. What, what, you know, do anything special, say anything? He's like, I say this. I'm like, okay, awesome, man. So are, the, are your players actually having a hard time grasping Pulp and, and they're thinking so old school, not when old school is wrong, um, kind of standard, if you will, Call of Cthulhu? Are they, oh, we're playing Call of Cthulhu, therefore I must play this way? I think there's a sense of being relatively reserved. So mm-hmm. in Eberron, it, it in Eberron, the D and D setting, it's very pulp noir, and you know it it embraces a lot of that, or and it should. Um, and some of that comes from the setting itself, and some of the components that you run into. When you talk about Cthulhu and you talk about pulp, I think there's a couple of things that are working against me and the players. Is you know we don't play Call of Cthulhu all the time. And it is called Cthulhu. Yes. So the pulp rules, I think, is just some may look at it and go, well, it's just a way to have more hit points or be a little bit tougher or be able Mm -hmm. to survive, but not actually embrace pulp. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Toughen up up the character a little bit so we can, he or she can last a little bit more, but I'm not going full bore. I'm not immersed in pulp. Yeah. Okay. Like, my name is not, you know, Dirk Dirk Flashheart. Dirk Flasher yeah. or yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. Like Rod Steele. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, the amazing adventures of insert yeah. the guy's or woman's name. Yeah, Doc Savage, Man of Bronze. Yeah, man. Yeah, so, got it. Got it. I think it will eventually get there. I don't know because even with masks, okay, so the first adventure is very I would say it is your kind of typical module as it is to you know, a, a traditional role-playing game, okay? There is a little bit of mystery, but it's it's really not there. It's an adventure. Are they still moving through it slower than I, I'm going to? Yes. I, okay, they are? Yeah. The, when I read it, you know, it took, I don't know how many, five sessions to get through? And you're like, oh, they should probably, you know, if you think old school D&D module, you're like, oh, like two games, we're out of here, on to, on to the big stuff. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious, what, what did you think when you read it? When you read the whole thing, did you think, ah, one night we're done? Or did you think it would take a month? Or what did you think? I, I thought it would take a little while, maybe not as long as this. I think we had one session where things really didn't go anywhere. Okay. And so I wanted, even in the end, at the end of the session. Did they blame you? Because they should. It's usually no, the master's fault. They, they don't okay. do that. All right. They don't know better. Not out loud. No. Okay. That's, yeah, maybe. <laughs> not, not out loud. Even in the end, where it kind of could get squirrely as far as what's really going on, I kind of just made shit happen and go. Okay. I didn't want to get into the nuances of, okay, well, if they do this and they got to do that. And, you know, I kind of gave them a problem. I expedited the issue by having them attacked. And, oh, by the way, I charmed two of them. Okay. And now they got to deal with two charmed characters that are in favor of some cult. Yeah, they're under suggestion, right? They're nice. magically kind of like, hey, you're going to do this for me. Oh, I'm going to do this for you. <laughs> so now I got these two goons like, hey, I got to go. 
Get a, no, I got to get a crowbar and an axe. And now one of the things you talked about with Call of Cthulhu, you loved the role-playing aspects of it, the less hacky slashy. So part of me thought, man, why is he going pulp? Because he's right. going to end up with more hacky slashy. But are you getting are you getting the role-playing feel that you wanted to out of this? I mean, because are, are, that was one of the things you loved when you, yeah. when you played it at cons and you were getting into it. Are you getting that role-playing rush that you were hoping you would get? I am. The, the, That's very good. That's awesome. I, I would say I would say it's a little like I think um, Crystal is into it. I mean, she brought up like a four page backstory for a character, so she's in. That's cool. Jimmy is in, and Josh. I would say so. If I had to rank them, it'd be like Crystal, Jimmy, Josh, Doc. Okay. And I'm not saying that Doc's not fully vested. It's just how those other guys are kind of at the table doing their thing. Um, okay. There's just a bit of difference in how they play. Got it. Cool. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Cause I was, um, depending, <laughs> you could get a bad table for any game, right? Right. And some games don't mesh well with certain groups. They just don't for whatever reason. So I'm, I'm happy for you, honestly, that it's working. That's very cool. That's good to hear. Well, with this one, it's, it's again, it's very, I think linear. Some may even say that there's a bit of a railroad. Get your tickets, kids. There you go. But is there anything about this that then you look at it and now when you get I know enough about masks, I played through first pieces of it, an older version thereof in New York. And so So did the, you do the Peru? Did you do Peru? No, we started out in New York. Yeah, you didn't do Peru then. And then we end up we ended up going to England, and then the, that campaign died. Then we Lenny ran again with a different group. We went to England, and then ended up in in uh, Egypt or so. I can't remember which yeah. or how we how we ended up there. Yeah. But yeah, we were definitely we made it to the desert pretty quick, and things got ugly. Star vampires and crazy ass shit. <laughs> um, what I'll I tell say? you what, one thing. I do. I tell you one thing. The, the grossness that has occurred has struck a chord to some degree. Are these players Cthulhu players or this is their first foray into Cthulhu? That's a good question. I don't know if any of them have played Cthulhu, actually. They all didn't have any of the books. Okay. So my guess is they had never played before. Or if they have, they are not. They weren't fans enough to go out and buy the stuff. Right. And it might have been a one shot, but as far as I know, none of them have played Call of Cthulhu because they were like, oh, hey, I was reading up on leveling and, you know, all this stuff, you know, increasing your abilities and or your skills. Yeah, not easy to do, blah, blah, blah. Right. I'll tell you, one of the one of the things that I like about a game like Call of Cthulhu from uh, not only a different genre, setting, rule system, and so forth, but if you are not a fan, in, insofar as you don't play regularly... I wouldn't be su surprised if some of the players who are really getting into it are – one of the reasons they're really getting into it is because they're feeling a bit of that old wonderment that you and I talk about, uh. right? Because it's almost like RPGing is new again because things are very different, especially if you're a D&D &D player. Not that D&D is bad, obviously, but if you're used to a certain – like if you just played Shadowrun or you played Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever and then you jumped into this, it's a different feel. Yeah. Have they dealt with the sanity loss yet? They have 
lost sanity. Some have spent luck to not be too far off. Are they grooving, so on, are they grooving on going insane? I don't know how that's going to go. I think, like I said, I think Jimmy, I think Jimmy and Crystal will, they have no problem like okay. getting into that. Doc and Josh, I think they'll, they would, they don't have any adversity to do it, but okay. I also don't know if they would understand that that's happening. Okay. And how to actually kind of like, like Doc would do it, I know, but. Oh yeah. It wouldn't be into the, the same, ex, to the same extent. But with going into New York, though, what I'm trying to say is from Peru to New York, the adventure and the adventure of mass literally becomes a clues, murder mystery. It's a goddamn it, sandbox, dude. Well, and the thing is that so when when they're going to get these things, so I have a lot of handouts. I give them mm-hmm. the handouts. They're very... um. Oh, here is a letter. Oh, it's not a letter as a, a clue. It's a letter as a piece of information. Yes. Where now with masks, when they show up in New York, they're going to come across in Jackson's apartment or St- maybe not stuff. They're going to come up. They're going to come across stuff. Yeah. And is, then it's just going to be put in front of them. Is this matchbox of any use? Yes. Is this Tintype anything is this right. for photograph anything? The fact that there's a tintype and a photograph, the fact that there's a new a stack of newspaper clippings and this and this and this, right? It's it can be it, the overload can hit, right? Well, that's what I'm waiting for. So Josh has been taking pictures of all the clues and he stores them in his iPad, and I'm sure you can go and reference them back and forth. I have a whiteboard with magnets on it, and I tack the stuff up there. Nice, but in the end, if these guys don't start taking notes and figuring out. Like shit is going to get real for them where they're not going to know which way is up if they just collect all this crap. This is very much if people have played um, Knights Black Agents type of thing before, one of the things that that has the Ken's Pyramid and so on, and shit gets escalated on you. And Call of Cthulhu is one of those classic things where if you are going up against a cult or multiple cults or any or any Aligor or some horrible deity or whatever it is, you start fucking about. Like, wow, I seem to have delved into something people were not meant to know. Huh, I'll just dick around for a while and kind of do this. Maybe go to the social and have a sandwich. And oh, my God, cult is kicking the door. That's what happens. You fuck around too long, the bad things start coming for you. And if you're not paying attention, you don't take notes. You're like, okay, these guys have stars on their heads. I thought the people who were fighting didn't have stars on their head. Where did these people come from? Well, you didn't take notes five sessions back and... You missed the star clue and you missed this or you weren't paying attention. There's a lot of nuancey stuff. So, Sean, from your perspective, as a, as a game master, you're looking at this. When they miss the nuances or they have all the clues, but they can't make shit sense of it. Are you doing something yourself to prepare to like, hey, I got to be able to help these cats out when they get in a bind and they can't figure it out. Are you going to lend them a hand or are you just going to let them <laughs> stew in their own piss? What are you going to do? Well, it depends. If, if I do... <laughs> If, yeah, if I'm feeling generous, yeah. I will pull them out of the muck. That and if I'll have to have them spend some luck. Ah, could, there you go. You got I a got mechanical. It. You got a mechanical thing. Like, dude, I'll, you want to burn some luck? You want to burn yeah. a little luck? Yeah. In gumshoe terms, you're like, oh, I can help you with that. You want to want to give me a couple? Give me a couple points. Spend, yeah. spend, spend, spend. Okay, okay. they got to spend some shit, and okay. then I will. But the thing is, is, it will be very hard for them not to. They won't. I don't think they'll get lost. I think uh, my fear is that they will get overwhelmed because I think they're going to get clues that are pretty 
blatantly obvious. Like, oh, here is a business card to this company. We should go to that company. But you get 10 of those. What do you do? Good. You can't get all 10 at once. Well, you know what I'm saying? I don't know from an over from an overwhelmed perspective is that we're talking about too many obvious things to follow up on. That is part of it. Or they get too many over time and then they're not like putting them all together. Because I think once they start on a particular track. They may split up, which will be great. Yeah, because I think splitting the party in Cthulhu is probably not a bad thing. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. Almost in any game. No, man. Oh, not been, doing the research and shit. Oh, it's the research and shit. Well, it depends how bad the cultists want them dead yet. Well, fair, but right now they're off the grid. Like they don't know. Like yeah, they can operate incognito. Th- they're for just a while. about to start getting into the shit. So, I guess what I'm asking is, do you have a bag of tricks from your from game mastering other game systems? You're like, hey, if they get overwhelmed. No. I know how to pull this out. Is, this is all new to you? I have no idea. No idea? Seriously? Well, I mean, I think I will be able to, depending on what the situation is, right? So if they go in a direction, if they get the clues, which they're, mm. so there's some situations in the, even in the beginning, which you've played, Brett, yeah. where depending on what you do or how quickly you act, you will either get more clues or none. Yes. Absolutely. Or some or some. Yes. So it's like if you, if the players delay, Okay, they're not going to get everything or they may come across too. Delays cause problems. Right. But if they are quick on the feet and they get in there, then they could unravel everything. They could catch something and, you know, they get all of them or whatever. I have actually contemplated just like hand waving that crap and just saying, hey, this is what you find in the room. Amongst all the the, the rummage. Kind of keeping the keeping the clues flowing. Instead of, well, they acted too slowly so therefore they only get the three. Oh, if there's ten I'm just if there's give ten them all. yeah and if give there's them all. okay that's one way i'll tell you man one of the things i have done over the years is that when the players get overwhelmed they look at me like i don't know what to fucking yeah, do then with I all will, this data well then i'll probably surmise it there you go yeah i honestly think that doing a summary saying okay let's yeah, let's talk about this look at the whiteboard all the shit's up there Let's get the markers and yarn out. Okay, this is connected to this, to this, to this. Well, that's what they have you, to do. Yeah, I'm just saying you can get them started by handing them the craft, right. hand them the craft paper, pencils, and and uh, glue stick, and let the kids go nuts. Right. They'll make some cool. They'll make some cool folk art for you. And guess what I get to do? Sit back and watch. Nothing. I get to do nothing and just watch and laugh and grin and smirk. Yeah, but they're gonna ask you questions. Hey. Oh no. Was this at Elias? Was this in the yard or the alleyway? Oh. Right. That was in the alleyway. Well, was I'm it waiting. at noon or five? Yeah, was it four actually. Ah, fuck four. Well, that's what I'm interested. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm happen. waiting for. Are the questions that have no relevance? Oh, it's the best. I know because then you have to be careful. Because if you do give them a detail and they go, oh, 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 so it happened. So it is. Eight, it's at eight o'clock. Yeah, and it means it, nothing. And it means nothing. They'll latch onto that. So I have to just say, look, that's just it's. I'll give you a time, but it's not relevant. Yeah, for the sanity of the players. Right. Sometimes. Some now, some players groove on that. They're like, ah, we got hooked on the uh on the clock based on Greenwich Mean Time, and uh turns out Cthulhu rose and ate the world. We were wrong. Sorry about that. Some people don't care if the whole concept goes pear shaped, they don't get the end. It's not that the idea is get them to win or beat the monster or just destroy whatever it is, but if they f- 
if they're totally on the wrong track, this is where we've talked about red herrings before. This is where, where the players can accidentally grab onto a red herring, especially when they're up to their eyeballs in data. Sometimes have mercy, in my opinion. Say, look, it doesn't matter what time it is. I will tell you right now, your character is smart enough to know that the time of day doesn't matter if it's Greenwich Mean Time or Central Standard Time. That doesn't matter. What matters is the position the stars were in. Ah, yes, the stars again. And then they're back off to where they are. You can use the character's knowledge and skills and whatever to help, you know, rapid answer some shit and get them off of a, get them off of the thing. But I mean, some players like fucking themselves and other people not so much. Yeah, I, I'm really, I see you doing that. I'm really excited to see how, cause it kind of waned there for a little while. I'm like, Oh God. All right. We got to get done with this thing. Like move this along, get it to where it needs to go. And then really, I mean, the guys that do vintage RPG podcast, one of those, I think Stu Horvath, I think it's Stu, he's run this twice and he ran it back. He ran the 80s version and then he ran the 2018 version. And uh-huh. just so you folks know, if you've even looked at either, the 2018 version is pretty easy to run. And I say easy to run as in, where are they? Okay, read the paragraph. If by reading the paragraph, it's actually things you can actually read out loud. It's not well written that way. Okay, it you is don't very well written. It's very clean cut yes. as to hey, do this thing and you can't go wrong. Yeah, that's it, nice. I mean, that's there's very times, nice. There's times where I'm like, yeah, I prepped for this like I don't know a month ago, and now they're at this part. So I just look <laughs> through and go, okay, read, 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 read. Okay, so I can say up to here, great. Da 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 da. So there isn't a lot of meta. That if you just read a paragraph, you're going to get into a ton of trouble because they kind of set that aside. So it's really nice, especially when there's so much. So anyway, Stu Horvath mentioned how he had one of his players like do something like four journals worth, like a journal, and four of them worth of notes. I could see that. Something ridiculous. Ten, four, I don't know. It's it's obscenely complicated game. Well, and I brought one to the table and said, hey, here's a journal you guys can like use to put scratch notes in. Now, I think Josh, he's a digital guy, so he's yeah. doing all the pictures and stuff. But, you know, I'm just wondering if they're really going to get the grasp of how much crap is going to come down on them informationally. I don't know if you remember, but I told you this when I ran Trailer Cthulhu the first time. I had I was running Bookhounds of London, and I bought a journal, Leatherbound Journal. I gave it to each player, and I said, you have to take notes for the session. Take notes however you take notes. And we passed it around the table. Everybody took a turn. So the whole thing is written in Seth's handwriting, his perspectives, Alpha's, Lenny's. Alpha did his all, like, Lenny did a mind map. Alpha did, like, drawings and sketches and weird, like, cartoon figures and stuff. And you read through this thing, like, it's, it looks like a madman's diary. It's really fucking cool. And then I went back. I always took it home with me. So we'll go back through and add stuff in red. They're like, did did we do that or did you do that? I don't know. You guys haven't looked at the notes in a while. Ah, fuck. So they pace through it. But anyway, different. I, I like the idea of providing them something like that. Even if they don't take you up on it, you can tap that book. You see this thing? Yeah, the fucking thing I brought you to take notes in because I told you you'd need notes. I'm telling you, you might want to slide, start using this thing. Well, and here's the thing. What I think some are, and I am even guilty of it. I think they're thinking, well, I'll just, we're going to get the clues. We'll just follow the clues. Yeah. But you're going to end up talking to like 20 NPCs. Yeah. So that's where the. And they're going to get information from those NPCs that aren't like, oh, it's on this piece of paper sitting in front of me. You're going to have to remember what that person said two sessions ago. I think what's interesting is where my 
advice for you, whether well, you take it or leave it, I guess, is that if the first time they say, who said that? <laughs> you say, that was Bobby, the police officer. Guys, here's the deal. You're going to run into a ton of people you're talking to. You have to write this down because we're going to waste a lot of time and I can't keep, if you want me to regurgitate all this, I'm going to burn luck. I'm going oh, to take, yeah. I'm mean, going to take something from, you know what I'm saying? Well, I'm going to do it every time. I mean, if they, I'm, I have to, because it's pulp and they're going to be boosting their luck at all the time. Yeah. They're I'm just saying you, you got to, if you shit. want to help encourage them to take those notes, yes. drain a resource and tell them, Hey, you don't want to get your shit drained, dude. Um, I'd write this shit down. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to go. Yeah, I agree. Is there anything – we're going for a little over an hour here, dude. So that's all right. D- is there anything that you're learning as you're running Call of Cthulhu here that you would – that you think will help you either running a different – like when you're running Call of Cthulhu again, like a new one, you're already thinking of stuff? Or are you looking at this saying, hey, I could do – I could improve my other RPG, perhaps. You know how some you run a game, you're like, hey, I run Star Wars. You know, I like this piece. I'm going to take this. It's going to inform my game mastering or inform my play in some way. Is there something that now that you're more embroiled in it, are there nuggets you're pulling out saying, I'm going to use that again no matter where I go? Well, I think the the one thing that is going, I have to get in the mode of, is that every non-player character is going to have to be unique in how I present them which in D is fairly easy because i'm not dealing with 20 npcs at any one given time or they're going to be readdressed over maybe a couple different times so when i present the cop or i present you know um the lawyer or the newspaper person or the, yeah. the you know the reporter I want to make sure these guys know who they're talking to when they're talking to. So we've talked about this before. You, you don't have to do the funny voices. You can do the description. Well, you know, he sees you coming, takes his hat off and begins twirling the brim, you know, because sure. that's, that's what Tom always does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're talking to Mary and, and she always shuffles her feet. She never makes eye contact. You ask her a serious question. She always looks down, you know, but you've got to have that stuff. Yes. If you want to make him unique. Right. Because I'm a voicey guy. I don't care. Well, I'm just I saying, gotta keep. I gotta keep consistent. I like. I, yeah. I don't want to use grandma voice for the reporter. Watch that, son. I think it's time to what, let's write this down. What happened to your English accent? Oh, you know, like. Are, do, are you a guy who writes in your books? No. So much, like, I, much like me, bravo, good man. Um, you're gonna I, start might, to, I don't know though. I might. If you want to, heretics who write in books would uh, put the notes <laughs> next to the NPC that says English accent stutters whatever well directly so, in the book i don't know if you see have you seen the uh game master screen for no masks? i'm not nope. so the game master screen for masks is literally all the npcs oh that's wonderful you could it's write a, on the screen then yeah it's all the npcs um and a, and a few other kind of nuances like i think a few clues or how they connect them i think it's oh. actually the countries like how they well shit you know, from man one if you're not if you're not afraid to Put sticky notes or write in pencil or anything where you're right on the screen, man. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd, write on, I'd write on a Game Master screen. That's not a real book. I'd do that. Right. And yeah. And it's this and it's for this campaign. Like you're never going to use the screen for anything else. Correct. Because if no you stats. write it and you decide, well, uh, Marianne Worthington has a British accent and 
Lady Cotton has a Australian accent, and this person has, is from Germany, and this person speaks with a stutter. You could put that all yeah. on there. And whether you run it for this crew or in two years you run it for a whole different crew, hey, guess what? Clunk, I look like a master because I already have all this crap built. I'm also going to have to keep track of all this shit. Yes, you are. Are you, are you doing the whatever clues they have? You're keeping them in a separate stack? I'm putting them out on the table. No, no, like, no. When you've laid their clues out and you collect the clues at the end of the session, do you put them back in with all the other clues? Or do you keep them separate? Um, so it depends on uh, what I've done was I've tacked them to the whiteboard. I know. What I'm saying is at the end of the session, whenever you clean up, yeah, I know my, you, my advice I put is them put them on it, the freaking whiteboard. Okay. So I put the whiteboard to the side and all the shit is on it. Oh, and do you never take it down? No. Ah, okay. Thank you. I thought you would take. I didn't know where you were playing. My apologies. No. Okay. No, no. Got it. Got it. Got it. You can yeah. Leave docs. I leave the whiteboard there. I just put it off in the corner. But when we play, I put it up on an easel, and then I, you know, so I doc, put it out on the table. So Doc pours a glass of scotch, stares at that board every night. No. What the fuck is going no, on? No, because it's off in the corner. Yeah, that's that. That's what it looks like when you come in. But I do have folders <laughs> to keep okay. track. So here's the thing that I haven't done, which is really pissing me off, is. The clues, okay, when you get the whole mass slipcase, you get all the paper clues. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff from what you said. There's a lot of handouts. But I have the I have the HP Lovecraft Society prop set. <sighs> and I'm pretty sure if I open that bitch up and there's a matchbook in the handouts, it's a piece of paper that looks like a matchbook. I think if I open the prop set, yeah, there's, a, there's a fucking matchbook in there. So when Lenny runs it. He has. He loves making props. He's a theater guy. Yeah. When he had a, when he had a matchbook, he made a fucking matchbook. Right. He made photographs. He did all of this stuff. Right. Which I bought and have, and I haven't busted it open. Oh, yet. you gotta bust it open. I know. You gotta do it, man. I know I do. And then I gotta. And what I've been doing with the paper handouts is I've been putting them in folders. So if it's like New York, I put all the handouts in that New York folder, and then as we go through, I pull them out as they get them and put them out on the table. And then at the end, I put them back in the same folder. So, so you can still week, put everything on the whiteboard where everybody sees it. You can keep all the cool shit on a side table or something like, Hey, well, there's want to look at it. It's right over there. I yeah, know, dude. I know. Oh, you got to pull the props out. You paid for the props. Set. Pull the props out. I know, man. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, so it's, it'll, so I have not this week that we're recording this on the eighth. Mm-hmm. We would play on the tenth, so it'll be the seventeenth is our next game. So I still have a week to like bust open the prop set and put them all together. I am debating. I know I have two different big ass game ideas that I want to run for my group, and I'm right now heavily leaning towards Delta Green. Yeah, that's good money. It's yeah, it's. I'd it's, run that next if I had a choice. Because it's good. So yeah, I'm really you gotta really come tempted. up with something. So I don't. Oh, know. I got something already. Yeah, I got something. Yeah. Well, I got stuff for that, and I got a different thing that I want to do too, which is even bigger in scope. I'm just not ready to. Don't know if I'm ready to do that one yet. But cool. This is awesome, man. So you're really you're digging it as much as you thought you would. I am, but I think I'm gonna dig it more because I think the Peru one was kind of a. Eh. It's a taste, man. Yeah. It's it's like oh, that's a chocolate covered strawberry. That's kind of neat. That's cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. I got lobster and filet mignon coming. Oh wow. Fresh asparagus? Oh, whoa, 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 bring that on. Brett hasn't eaten tonight yet. No, I haven't. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> cool, steak. though. No, yeah. that's good. That's good. I'm yep, glad. Yep. Yeah. 
So if I just bored the shit out of you about my Call of Cthulhu game, I apologize, but it'll it's going to ramp up. And I'm going to put some info out for our Patreons. No, I think this is Patrons. good. And the reason I wanted to ask you about this, Sean, was because when we talk about games, a lot of times people have asked us for reviews, right? Sometimes, hey, you did a really good rundown of this game system or that game system. And sometimes that's neat. But talking about, I've run Call of Cthulhu before. I've run Delta Green before. This is your first go at it. I mean, you've played it a bit, but this is your first go through it. And the fact that you're having a good time, you're enjoying it, you're liking the clues, you're liking this process. As you go along, it, I think it'll be interesting to check in periodically. And at the end of it, when the campaign's over, however it ends, where they all go insane and die, they actually make it to the end, whatever occurs, it'd be interesting to get your opinion of, did you have fun? Would you do that again? Yeah, my biggest thing. fear is that it's so, gonna, it's so long. Mm-hmm. That these guys will get bored or something. That's my fear. Or I could too, I guess. Well, that's, again, part of it. I, that's why I want to have kind of quasi-regular check-ins just to see how it's progressing and see how yeah. it's, what you're doing. Yeah. And it might be a piece where at the end of it you say, you know what, Brett, it's awesome. It's fucking amazing, but I can't run anything that big. I don't like it. Right. Might be the answer. And that's totally fine. But to my original point, hearing somebody talk about a game system they really enjoy, how much fun they're having with it, what they're doing with it, how the players are interacting is just as good as a review in my opinion sometimes sure. that that gets you fired up so very cool awesome yeah so thanks for listening to me babble about my tell me about your game story hey it's our, pod- what game it's masters our- do right exactly it's our podcast every once in a while we get to do this stuff Play- players will be like tell me about your player yeah. story tell me player about your character. character yeah let's go right. die roll die roll all right First one, Dungeons and Deceptions, the first D&D player's pushback on The Legend of Gary Gygax, which is an article on Kotaku by Cecilia Anastasio. Anastasio, yeah. I am amazed at the number of people who give a shit about this stuff. I mean, seriously, will argue with you, like (laughs) violently argue as to who founded, who started, whether they were a good game master or bad, is crazy. Well, this is this article is actually pretty good as it relates to history of the hobby. And so there are some people like Some Rob people Kuntz, dig it. Like, some people totally Rob into Kuntz it. Rob is like, and it all has to do with the, the release of uh, Blackmore, the, the documentary. Oh, neat. Yeah, so I like get, it. I, I find yeah. it interesting when I, I not that I don't give a shit. I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, but the intensity that some people, the religious yes. zeal some people have, very interesting. Yeah. Carry on. Second one: ten D and D rules that dungeon masters should pretend don't exist. An article on thegamer.com by Courtney Austin. I could some have written that. Yeah, <laughs> some of it's man. Yeah, Brett's disregarded all of it. Um, but yeah, there's a couple in there. Some it's some may call it clickbait, but. Hey, worth looking okay. at. Bruce Cunnington points out Steve Newton's new Kickstarter on his DCC adventure, The Last Will and Testament of Obadiah Felkner. Ends October 7th, 2019. It is not funded yet, but it's pretty much there. It's like $1,900 of $2,500 or something. Um, and I know Steve. I've met him at Gary Con. Really nice guy. Yeah, he has a $2,500 goal. He's at $2,022 right now. Yeah, and I think even before the show is like nineteen hundred. So, if you're interested in DCC and want to check that out, by all means, you know, slick. A, yeah, it's a western themed adventure. Uh, so, if you like this stuff and you got in on uh, dark on, our, on dark trails by Dave Beatty, 
this might be a this might be a little fun thing to adapt there when that comes out very cool all right cool sweet yeah so what are we talking about next week brett we're talking about character sheets sean what yeah a couple of oh. our listeners hit us about this so i built the i built the um the notes a little bit ago i think i shared out with you if not you'll see it shortly and uh, we're talking about character sheets that's next a time, good man. topic i think it is it's a damn good topic yeah okay well there you have it we don't expect a lot of random encounter on this Not based episode, on this show <laughs> but uh you know i honestly if now the other thing is if somebody if there's a game master out there who's run the new version yeah and if you have a tip or a trick yes that you want to throw at us fine that would be great um we don't have to publish it to everybody but it might be one of those things like hey guess what spoiler alert we have a tip we're going to read this thing if you don't like it you know click back later it could be could be kind of cool so if you got a tip or trick on how to run this thing um being messed on the hook up that'd be great to hear yeah well that's it ladies and gents thanks for listening to another episode of gaming and bs i'm one of your hosts sean that's running the <laughs> massive tap call of cthulhu game and i'm brett good night and good game and all this episode of gaming and bs brought to you with the help from the following bsers Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Hawk Sparrow, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Guy, Roger Brasslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stefan Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Rich Wishon, Old Scoozer Roleplaying, Jared Rasher, Andy Hall, David Balog, Chad Gleeman, Finolf, Mirko Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Jeff Seifert, and Aaron Ralia. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingnbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers. This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.